This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 170 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. This week, as is tradition on the Thursday Night Podcast, we'll offer all our thoughts on the upcoming NCAA tournament. But before then, we'll look at the football spring game that took place last Thursday and get you ready for the start of conference season for Panthers baseball. But back to football. The spring game was a 35-21 win for Team Blue over Team Black, earning Team Blue a trip to Six Flags with Coach Sean Elliott. Casey Adams was the breakout star for the second straight spring, finishing the night with 152 rushing yards and four touchdowns. So gentlemen, thoughts on the spring game? Yeah, so I mean, KZ is the takeaway again, which was last spring. And other than that, I think like we have the same number of real earnest takes from the spring game, having both been there, me and Jordan, just because... Like the draft thing is fun, and obviously it's another year where they've bought in on it. Now you have the extra thing where a trip for Six Flags is up for grabs, real stakes in the game. But you know the things I look out for in spring games are, and I talked about this on my last week's pod that like you want to see who's with the ones, who's with the twos, and because of the nature of the roster divide, you don't get that in this spring game, and so you just kind of have to go off the vibes of like who's maybe making plays. But even then, I really haven't learned anything new about anyone that I didn't know before the spring game uh, from watching it, except that you know, KZ did what he did for the second straight spring, it sounds like, but this year there's reps up for grabs. You know, last year he did it. Him and Marcus Carroll played a lot of the spring because Tucker Gregg and Jam Williams were coming back and you didn't need to see a lot from them. Whereas this year, Marcus Carroll and KZ Adams had a lot of reps in the spring because they're going to be the top two running backs in the depth chart. And so you can really more tangibly feel excited about this redshirt freshman who everyone on the team is wowed by who showed out again, because he's going to be on the field in the fall. Well said, Uh, you know, I don't have any grand things to add to that just because obviously I wasn't able to attend the spring game, but you know, those are the things that you're looking for. And it's, it's nice that KZ kind of took that step forward. I think last year, we at least I had some expectations that there would be a bit of a sh- deeper running back room. Not to say that it wasn't good; it was very good. Um, but it's it's nice to see that KZ is re- still you know finding ways to contribute when he's his name has been called upon. And I'm excited to see you know how that translate into a full FBS football schedule. Yeah, I mean, I think hurting him and other running backs is that Darren was basically the third running back in that group with. Tucker and Jam and so you you kind of had it covered with between the three of them uh, but obviously that turns into Darren and Marcus and KZ and you know who beyond them maybe steps up as a third option we're going to find out because you know you aren't going to make it happen with just two running backs nowadays in FBS football especially because you know KZ is kind of undersized and that's the biggest knock on him but I got to say and this was really the only major takeaways that I had from the game it related to after the game when we spoke to the players and coach Elliott when they were made available because I was definitely impressed by KZ when he spoke to the media for the first time I was impressed very much by Jakari Carter the Merrimack transfer the wide receiver and I was impressed by Kevin Swint the Clemson transfer um and obviously Darren we also spoke to and continue he's the leader of the team but he wasn't a new voice and those three were all new voices either new to the program entirely or kz hadn't really been 
in the public eye yet uh, representing Georgia State, but all of them, you got the vibes that there was still a lot of confidence and that hadn't been knocked and the new players had come in and immediately kind of established themselves into the roles to where they're contributing and being the media representatives for their team. So I think if you're looking for a team in 2023 that's going to have better results and that if you're looking for that instant uh, you know, injection that you were hoping for with these transfers, based on just the evidence of that, I do think that the team has gotten better and you can kind of project that. It's still going to have to play out on the field in the fall and you know we're going to see how all those guys contribute when all is said and done, but I was certainly impressed by them with their answers and what they gave to us after the game. All right, and in other football news, transfer defensive back Rance Connor joins the program after entering the portal from Louisville. Connor had limited time on the field for the Cardinals, but could slide in at cornerback or safety for the Panthers, both positions of need going into next season. Gentlemen, thoughts? Yeah, this is kind of a wait and see just because I don't know where he's exactly going to even end up, let alone how much he's going to play. But versatility and options is a good thing, and I think it'll be an interesting kind of first chess piece that new defensive coordinator Chad Staggs can move all on his own sort of because you know there might be guys that shift around positions as he comes in and has new ideas on defense but this is someone who's going to come in not having gone through spring practice uh and so in the fall it'll be immediately time for coach Staggs to kind of find out where this guy fits in you know relation to the, the rest of the roster so a guy who had the offer list he had out of high school and ended up at an ACC school. I think the talent is there for sure. And very interested to see what happens with France Connor. I'm interested as well. And I think the, the nice thing about some of the additions that Georgia state has had is just how much, how committed they've been to getting guys on the defensive side of the ball. Um, especially in the secondary, like they, I feel like they've done a really good job of, you know, fixing some of the holes that were created by some of the transfers and graduations. Um, Because at first when I saw this, I was like, oh, a corner. okay." And then I thought about it and I was like, wait, like they're really, really committed to finding defensive players as opposed to kind of improving some things on offense. And yeah, like there there have been offensive transfers for sure, but I, I have liked what I've seen just, you know, if you're going to go off of a, a player and a name value or a 24 um, seven star grading, if you will, it's, it's nice to see, you know, kind of where their focus has been and just kind of see, get a, get a sense of where their head's at. Yeah, and obviously the second Louisville transfer of this cycle after Henry Bryant at nose guard transferred in and went through spring practice. So little connection there. Don't know how much of it was like if he got any kind of word that, hey, Georgia State's a good place to be. But uh, very weird, the different interconnecting dots between Georgia State, Louisville, and now Louisville staff went to Cincinnati. So it's kind of a three-school web of just different pieces moving to each of the different places. It's weird how sometimes... uh, the per, you know the college football world gets really small and insular like that. All right, let's go ahead and move on to baseball. The Buslot boys dropped all three games at Clemson last weekend, losing the opening game nine to eight for the second straight weekend on a walk off. The Tigers then followed that up with ten to two and ten to seven wins in a doubleheader on Saturday to complete the sweep. And on Tuesday night at Mercer, Georgia State came back from two four-run deficits to tie the game with a Will Mize two-run double with two outs in the top of the ninth, but the Bears bookended this disappointing 0-4 week 
with a two-run walk-off home run to win 11-9. Now 9-8, the Panthers get ready to start Sunbelt play with a home series against Troy. The games will start at 6 p.m., 3 p.m., and 1 p.m., and will all be aired live on ESPN Plus from the GSU Baseball Complex. Gentlemen, thoughts on baseball? All right, this team is starting to get frustrating because they had a really good opportunity when they went up to Clemson this past weekend. And like, if, you know, watching that game, it was really apparent that they came ready to swing. They came ready to punish the mistakes, you know, and after the, the second inning, they hit two, they hit two home runs. Third inning, they hit a two run home run. And then the fourth inning, you know, they added on a couple more fifth inning. They added on a couple more and it like, it looked good. It was eight to two at the end of the fifth. And it was like, okay. Like it just you just got to get outs at this point. Yes, it would be nice to score more, but you just got to get outs. And you know what? The bullpen just couldn't do it. And it's not really one guy right now. You know, um, you would have loved it if Ottinger kind of figured the things out in the ninth inning. You would have loved it if, you know, Jones could have just got another out. Obviously, neither happened. Um, but it's and it you know it's it's a it's weird because they're still getting strikeouts you know when you get a lot of strikeouts you you like your odds when it comes to getting and outs right aside from maybe one or two guys walks haven't really been an issue exactly you know normally when your bullpen is not doing so hot it's all right you got a lot of guys are getting on base via the walk being pitchers are being wild and then you've just got a bopper who makes them pay um that's not what's happening here. It's just guys are just not finding the zone, but not walking and then just getting hit a little bit hard, you know, and obviously Clemson is a, a decent team. The Saturday, the first game of the doubleheader, you know what? Didn't really score. Like, yeah, they gave up 10 runs, can't score two runs and expect to win many games, especially with the way that the pitching is going right now. I'm sorry. Um, they gave him a chance on the other game, and guess what? They gave up 10 runs again. So it's the pitching just is really not where it needs to be for how good I think the offense is. And the I mean, the offense has been good. Like they, I mean, they scored seven and eight runs in two of the three games. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think we look at the series differently if they just hold on on Friday, and maybe the series goes differently. I mean, we did talk about how they recovered from the walk-off in the opener against Presbyterian, but Presbyterian is in Clemson. It's ACC team with talent, and you gave them that head of steam and that momentum, and there wasn't the immediate game after it. You had to wait and come back the next day. And I think the walk-off probably helped Clemson because dropping that opener in the way that it happened where you know the, the Sunbelt team was coming in and bombing them probably wouldn't have felt good, whereas when all was said and done and the dust settled, they were the ones putting together the clutch walk-off grand slam. And I think that that settled them for the rest of the series and their bats continue to get going. And yeah, like you said, it would be easier if it was like this one guy is not performing and it's causing an issue. I just passed the first couple of starters and despite his outing this weekend against Clemson, I still think Ryan Watson is going to be a reliable starter. He just didn't have a good time in the final game of the series, uh, that'll happen. Uh, it would be easier if it was the case where it's like, all right, this guy's got to pitch better. I just don't think that the roles are settled. I don't think that, you know, it's easy on Coach Stromdahl to make the choices for like who's going to be in this spot because 
guys aren't establishing themselves. Uh, I think the positive that you have, if you want to look for it, it's that I think that the combination of guys are there to have it be better already. Like, I don't think you're looking at a situation where under no circumstances could this group of arms be a good pitching core. The, you know, you've got, I think Davis Chastain and Brady Jones look like pretty good live arms. They're just freshmen. And so some of their struggles are coming from having not gone through these situations at the college level. And in, you know, on the Friday game against Clemson, I think Stromdahl kind of let Brady Jones try to work through it there in the bottom of the ninth. And he ended up leaving the game after loading the bases. Uh, Ottinger gives up a base hit and then gives up the grand slam. That ended up losing the game. And maybe if you pull him earlier, you get out of that with the win. But I think he probably wanted to test him a little bit there in that situation because he's probably going to be back in that uh, situation, whether it's this year or just down the line as a college player. Um, so you've got those two guys that should continue to grow. And I think the potential is there just because already, you know, they're popping in the low 90s as true freshmen contributing on a college roster. Yeah. Ottinger, I still think, you know, he's had more good outings than bad outings. It's just that recently he's had the bad outings and this, the explosiveness with the home run against Clemson, the walk-off hit against Presbyterian. You'd like to think he can find it again. And Chad Treadway is a weird one because he was he has been kind of the most reliable reliever for Georgia State's uh, bullpen the last couple of years, and he just hasn't had any kind of feel at the beginning of this year. None of his outings have gone great, and I don't know whether it's a physical thing that's going wrong or if it just mentally he's got the yips right now, just having a mental block. But he's a guy that you would have looked at before the season as one of the guys you'd turn to in the late innings. He hasn't been anywhere near giving you that type of confidence. And so any number of those guys, not to mention the people that I haven't named, you feel like could find some kind of form. Uh, but you're right that it's going to have to happen because – you know, I think that the bats are good enough that they can win series at home against teams about their skill level. Um, but home or away, if the pitching doesn't get a little bit better, when they go up against the better teams in the Sun Belt, I just don't think they're going to have the chance to win some of these games. Just because if it continues on the level it's been through these last couple of games, there's, there's too many good lineups in the top of the Sun Belt that are going to just punish you. There absolutely is. And, you know, getting guys like Treadway back to form, um, it'll really help get this bullpen some confidence. And that's what they need right now. Like, they just need one guy to say, hey, you know what? I'm just going to be the one who's going to get outs when I'm called upon, when Stromdahl needs a guy who needs one out, two outs, three outs. Like, that, somebody just needs to be the one to get it. So, you know, as they head into Sunbelt play, uh, you know, starting this week, you really just want to see if that can flip because I mean, the schedule doesn't get any easier. You know, like I, I would love to sit here and say that, oh, they played Clemson. Then now you're just going to have uh, Sunbelt teams. Well, congrats. There are Sunbelt teams that are probably better than Clemson. So, you know, they've really got to find ways to be consistent and, you know, get outs when Stromdell comes, calls upon them. Yeah. And to your, it doesn't get easier. Troy this weekend is at home, but Troy is currently 13 and three. They are losing in the bottom of the ninth, nine to seven to Columbia right now in their midweek game at home. So might be 13 and four, uh, could turn around be 14 and three, but no matter what, neither of those records are bad. They've won a lot of games. They're one of the last D1 teams to be undefeated this year. 
good baseball program, certainly going to be a tough out. The one positive you have going for you is you do could come back home. So play to the uh, ballpark, hit some more home runs, get back on track. And yeah, like you say, I do think if one or two guys start to have the results flip, you get a, you can see some confidence come back. It just right now, I think there's just a feeling of being on the ropes just across the board. And until something goes right in the later innings, I think you're going to have that feeling. It, I have confidence. Like, you know, I don't know what the final season record is going to be. Um, but I, I feel like I do have confidence that just, just given how some of these games have gone and just given where the offense has been, I do think it's possible that they figure it out. Cause I mean, most baseball teams have sort of struggles through the beginning of the year in this specific department. Like I know, um, it's not a perfect comp to, you know, compare it to major league baseball, but there are a lot of quote unquote good teams that go through stretches where the bullpen just isn't good. And, you know, yeah, we're get, kind of getting into the meat and potatoes of the season. Obviously we're almost 20 games in, but it's, it's not unusual to take a while to figure some of these things out. And last, but certainly not least, we've got some basketball news to discuss. Tanari lane transfers in from Winthrop, the first portal edition of this recruiting class. Lane averaged 10.3 points and shot 38.1% on his three-pointers in the 2022-2023 season. A graduate from Grayson High School in Gwinnett County, he's coming back home to Metro Atlanta. He'll have two years of eligibility for the Panthers. So, gentlemen, thoughts on Lane? This is one of the first ones, you know, we've been seeing on Twitter, like, different accounts would be like, so-and-so has entered the portal and has heard from this team and this team and this team and this team. And this was one of the first ones that when I saw the stats and when I eventually saw the highlights, I was really like, oh, there's a fit here if there's interest, especially given that he's Grayson, you know, he'd be coming home. And so I was not surprised when it kind of moved quickly and he ended up committing uh, on Instagram today as we're recording this podcast. And I just think it is exactly priority one of this offseason was adding shooters and you look at him he's got a really nice lefty stroke is really replicable it certainly does not surprise you watching his tape that he's a 38 percent three-point shooter and you could maybe even get that number up into the 40 range because it looks really good um and he made 52 percent on his twos he took several several more threes than twos is uh last year at winthrop so he was really being deployed in that kind of sharpshooter three-point specialist role, which he might be to start out at Georgia State, but I think he's got an ability to play off the dribble as well, and he's 6'5", 6'6", depending on where you look for the measurables, which is good size for a guard. So I'm interested to see, like, I think number one headline is you've just got a shooter, and this guy in your roster last year would have meant a big difference to the other guys. Number two is I think he has other ways that, he could help out the team and I'm interested to see how he gets deployed and how this staff kind of tries to get that side, the defense um, and the other offensive qualities out uh, with him coming in. Yeah, I agree. I really love the shooting potential. Um, Here is a stat that will absolutely humble uh, anybody listening. Uh, The person who made the most threes on Georgia state last year was Jermaine Mann, and hit, he hit 33. He was 33 of one Oh two. Um, shooting threes last year, good for 32%. Um, you know, that's not great, but it was third on the team percentage wise as well. Uh, 
Lane hit double that. He hit 75 threes last year. Um, that would be huge for Georgia State. Like, I, I don't know much else to even say about that just because that was such a glaring hole for them. Um, to say nothing else, if he's just propped up in a corner shooting, you know, near 200 threes and hitting 38% of them, that's that's probably a good thing. So, um, yeah, there will definitely be shots to go around. And I think the, the nice thing about this early emphasis on shooting, um, if I can even call it that, is it allows – now that quote unquote the biggest problem is solved for Coach Hayes, it allows the other scholarships to be filled with, you know, either a project big or uh, they can get a transfer big who is a little bit, you know, ready to go right now that can kind of take, you know, a guy like Edna Moko under his wing or, you know, it, it just allows for so much flexibility. And hey, you can even get more shooting. There's nothing wrong with that. There's, you know, a couple scholarships to play with. There's, you know, there's definitely open minutes. Like I, I don't think anybody has a definitive starting spot outside of Dwan. Um, I think you can you can probably give Jaheim the benefit of the doubt depending on other transfers that come in. Um, but I would I would venture to say that Dwan is the only confirmed starter right now today as we're you know heading in the middle of March, which is fine. You know sometimes you're just going to have years like this. We talked about that last week. Yeah, the last thing I would mention, I'm just from his numbers at Winthrop, and I'm going off Ken Palm right now, so this excludes non-Division One games, but he had a 7.5 turnover rate, turn, turnover on 7.5% of uh, possessions, I believe is what that is, uh, which is 13th in the country. And so he doesn't have many assists, a really low assist rate as well, but for a guy that's a guard, even if he isn't going to be a distributor, which I don't expect to be the case. I don't think he's going. That's not. That's not where his strengths are. He isn't a guy that's going to have those silly turnovers. Which some of those mounted up with the guards, you know, the, the ball handlers for Georgia State. But a lot of the other guys who aren't taking it up the court aren't the ones running the offense. Had a lot of those stack up. It really in opportune times. And so the other thing you're adding with Lane is a guy who isn't going to add to that problem. It might be a steadying force in that regard to where you've got him out there. He played 25 minutes or so for Winthrop. He was playing anywhere like that. That's a guy for over half the game. You can trust to not make those type of mistakes. And he's still got two years to grow, you know, and if they envisaged a bigger role for him here, who knows where the potential is, but I, he was at just over 10 points a game and 38% from three. If he did that next year, that would on its own improve this team. And if he can add on from there and become even more of a feature of the offense and the defense, you know, that starting point is great, but you've got the potential for even more. Definitely definitely intrigued by this ad and how he fits in when the season gets rolling next year. I think you're underselling how much it would improve the team too, you know, like that. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that that alone would make them Sunbelt title contenders, but you know, we're talking about a team who is in some close games in second halves down the stretch and, you know, the kind of the bottom fell out, but I think you could flip easily. You could flip like two or three wins and, you know, kind of go from there. So yeah, that would absolutely improve the team. 
with still two other freshmen who we know are coming in and four more scholarships to play with. So this is one piece of the puzzle and there's still more pieces to be added as the offseason goes on. And I honestly wouldn't be surprised if we're talking about another one next week, just because with the portal era, this does move that fast. And, you know, I do think there's going to be an interest in locking down guys as soon as they see a guy like this that fits, they're going to say, all right, when can you come to Atlanta? Let's get a visit in. Let's make this happen. Um, certainly this is a good first step from my point of view. I think this was a really nice add for where this team needs to get to for next season. It really is. It's a great first step. And of course, this week, the big dance starts and Georgia State will be on the outside this year, as we are all painfully aware, but there's still plenty to discuss about this year's tournament. So gentlemen, what are your thoughts? So before we go into the tournament, I know me and David are going to go through upsets. I've got a last year didn't go great for me. The year before went pretty great. So I'm still feeling like on a high from that. But we're not going to spend much time talking about the first four, which the first two games happening tonight. There's one going on right now, Mississippi State and Pitt. And we're not going to spend much time talking about it because I don't think we're going to predict much deep runs. But I didn't want to let it go untalked about. And I feel like we've been missing out on the you know, trivia aspect of stuff when we haven't, when we've been doing these podcasts and I saw an opportunity, I am springing this on the audience and David and Jordan, but they're going to participate in a game that I've put together around the first four. Uh, This is going to test your college knowledge because there are eight teams participating in the uh, first four games this uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. Two of them I'm going to exclude from this because Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, and Pitt clues in the name. But what I'm going to ask is the city that the campus of the schools in the first four are located in. So I'm not going to give you Pitt or Corpus Christi because you guys can figure that out. I'm going to put the list in a in the, the Google sheet that we use that you guys can look at. And right. the way I kind of want to do this, uh, we'll give Jordan seniority. Oh, um, no. You guys can schoolyard pick it. You guys can pick one and name your school. The other person will have a chance to steal it. And you guys can play along at home listening to this podcast. Um, These schools are Southeast Missouri State, Mississippi State, Arizona State, Nevada, Texas Southern, and Fairleigh Dickinson. Okay, so I'm going to pull rank like Brady very generously yeah, yeah, offered to let me. So are, are, we, are we doing the exact town name that these universities are in, or are we talking nearest major city, like with an airport that isn't I like think it's field? one, this, I mean, I think it's one and the same probably for okay. all of them. I mean, all right, well, I don't know. I'm, if, if you're going to spring it, I will work on a judgment call on the fly <laughs> if you got something that tests me. But I think that you'll find the answers the same for I think all of them. All right. Maybe well, not one of them. The this only- is very frustrating because we were <laughs> I was literally at brunch with one of Katie's friends this past Sunday, and she is an alum of Arizona State. And she <laughs> said the name of the city in the conversation, See, and I just don't remember. Well then what I'm I'm gonna leave that one is. to you then. So since you're so uh you're so attached to that. Yeah, Mississippi oh yeah, I hear her in the background. Uh, Mississippi State is in Starksville. Is it Starkville or yes. Starksville? Stark Vegas. Dark, so yeah, yeah. There you go, so. I'm I'm gonna start off with that one because that's the only one I know 100 percent for sure. Yeah, that's that's definitely the biggest layup of the bunch for sure. Um, um, Jordan's on the board. 
Oh, goodness. Arizona State. Oh, it's in, um, ah, uh, no, 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 no. It's close to, it's close to the Cubs spring training. I can't verify it, that, but sure. Is it Tuscan? It is not uh, Tucson. Not Tucson, sorry. Not it t- is not Tucson. Tucson is just Tucson. regular old Arizona. That is correct. I, I'm going to log that as your guess, most because we have to keep moving this along. Yeah, that's fine. You can log Jordan, do you want to steal Arizona State? Mm. See, here's the thing is I also don't know what city it's in, but there's not very many cities in Arizona. And yeah, I, I mean, I, play your odds. I, I feel like it's it's probably wrong, but my my next guess would have just been Phoenix because that's the next major city as you're making your way west on I-10. But it is it's probably not it. Tempe, Arizona. Wow, okay. Yeah. No All right. point there. Oh, my God. Okay. But it does go back to Jordan because it's his pick again. All yeah. right, well... I got to be honest, I had never heard of Fairleigh Dickinson, so we're going to skip right on past that one. Uh, Nevada, I know for a fact that it's not in Vegas because you have UNLV, which would be, I guess, a subsidiary of that university system. And knowing what the uh, rest of Nevada looks like, which is not a whole lot much of anything, I'm going to go with Reno, but that I'm not 100% confident with that one. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, bang. Let's and actually- go. It's the same university system. Nevada is actually the University of Nevada at Reno. So okay. there you go. You, ha- you were on, the- you logic every part of that and you get the point for it. That's what I do, man. The- David is down to nothing and also has been backed into a corner where nothing left is particularly workable. Yeah, none of these are easy. Uh, the sorry. only one that would have a leg up is Southeast Missouri State did already play and lose. So if you've been watching earlier, and I, I kind of played the percentages that you weren't going to be watching, and so it would work for the purposes of this game. But that's what you got. Southeast Missouri State, Texas Southern, Fairleigh Dickinson. I'm going to go Texas Southern. Um, and I'm going to go truthfully out on a limb here and say that they're in San Antonio. Jordan, you got anything? Mm, well, having been through not much of Texas outside of what's off of I-20 or I-30 or whatever, I'm pretty confident it's not in either of any of those cities that you pass through. So, oh, I don't know. But like Southern Texas, there's not really a ton there. But also, what's the definition of Southern Texas? Is it like a is it like a, we're going to identify as Southern Texas, but we're actually in the north half of the state? I don't know. I I want to say... Oh man, I don't want to say like a Galveston or anything, but that's probably the only city I could think of that would be in that general area. So you're going with Galveston? Yeah, we'll just we'll just stick with that. Dave was kind of on the right track in that it's a major city. It is Houston, Texas. They're okay. another one of the teams in Houston. Texas Southern is in Houston. I mean, yep. I guess. I am washed. It's, Absolutely it's, it's washed. In the, it's in the southern half of the state, but barely. you're not wrong. <laughs> I I didn't think it was it was as far as Houston. I'm sick. Absolutely sickening. Well, um, is it back to Jordan again? I, I think because yeah, I didn't get it. Yeah. 
All right. Well, uh, fortunately for you, David, I've got no clue, not even what state Fairly Dickinson is in. So good luck with that one. Uh, Simo, man, I just Missouri is, again, another state I don't know too much about, nor do I have the ability to pull out just whatever city is in southeastern Missouri. I know Kansas City is in western Missouri. St. Louis is in eastern Missouri. But it's not in southeastern Missouri. And I don't know of any city that is in southeastern Missouri. Yeah. And truthfully, this is one, probably the same with Fairleigh Dickinson, that if you don't know it, you're not going to pull it. Like, this is one you'd have to have known ahead of time. Uh, where's Springfield, Missouri? Is that is that in the southern part of the state or the northern part? I don't know, whatever. That's the only, I know it's not St. Louis. So I'm just, I'll, let's just go with that because that's the only other city I can pull out of my, uh, you know, where with a, uh, regard to Missouri David um southeast Missouri state yeah I don't know cities in Missouri which is bad because I'm pretty sure Illinois borders Missouri um, yeah that's fine southeast Missouri does not border Missouri so you, or Illinois so you're good there No, Kansas City's on the other side. Oh yeah, I shouldn't have given you those freebies, but that's fine because I don't think yeah, it works out when you're it. the second person to <laughs> it give does. away it the does. extra information. When you're the first person, honestly, no, I I got really nothing. I don't know anything about like that side of Missouri. So you're you're leaving it? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I already lose this, yeah. but you know, it's but fine. I I really I really don't know Missouri like that. I I think I know where like which state Farley Dickinson is in, but I I don't know the the city off the top of my head. But I'm pretty sure it's a it's a college in West Virginia. All right, well we'll leave, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. But. So Southeast Missouri State is in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. You know what's funny is I actually have heard of that and I know where it is, but I didn't think it was a big enough town to actually have a college in it. And I wow. also couldn't you remember. Should have gone with your pronounced. gut. It's, it's it's all right. It's fine. You could have given. Me, I also did not mispronounce that. You could have given me a hundred, two hundred guesses. Yeah, that's what that. I said. Would not have gotten it. I love. That's it. one of where you had to have known it. I know because uh, it's in uh It's in uh the first song of Inside Lewin Davis, Coen Brothers movie, twenty thirteen, Cape Girardeau. Uh, the last one is Fairly Dickinson, and it's funny that you both have mentioned the idea of knowing where the state is, because this one I'm going to give a little leeway. Full point would be the city, but if you just want to plump for the state that it's in, get a half point, which at this point, just for pride at this point for David, Jordan's got it sewn up, but if you both want to give a state or if you want to go for the city, um, I won't give like a, hey, you got that right or wrong. I'll just, if when you both give answers, I'll cover who's got it or not. David, I'll let you go first. All right, now that he said it that way, I'm waffling on West Virginia. I will amend and say it's in North Carolina. I feel good about that. That's an interesting guess. Um, I think the name to me sounds very colonial. So like some old white guy from the 17 or 1800s. So I would have to, I would have to guess probably I don't know. I want to say Virginia. I don't, I don't think it would be West Virginia. I want to say it would just be, I can't call it regular Virginia. It's just Virginia. But um, 
I guess we'll just go with that because I feel like the Northeast Northeast, most of the like big movers and shakers of basketball we're all pretty familiar with. So I'll, I'll just roll with Virginia. David rolls with North Carolina. We're, we're right there. We're right there. We'll see. This is maybe we're having the extra context of what conference Fairleigh Dickinson is from would have helped out because Fairleigh Dickinson is the auto bid from the Northeast Conference. Ooh, okay. So you both oh. are a little bit too far south. Yeah. They are in Teaneck, New Jersey. New, New Jersey. Jersey? What? All right. Fascinating. Oh, man. <laughs> the, the first trivia contest on Thursday Night Podcast, 170 episodes in, Jordan wins it 2 0. I like these. Let's do more of this. Absolutely. David will surely have a chance to fight back at some point. Did not happen to. this edition. Did not have a good showing. Need to do better. That's all right. We're all winners here. I guess, you know, we can go from there with the idea of winners. Just who. As we actually talk about the tournament and get out of the trivia zone, um, what were your thoughts on the bracket when you saw it come out, David? I liked, you know, just kind of the matchups. Um, and I feel like, you know, we say that every year, but realistically, there's some pretty good games um, going on in the first round this year. I, you know, I will say you definitely put me on to the 12 5 upsets. Um, I don't love any this year. Um, and like, I, I know the Charleston San Diego state one is just, it's a very sexy pick. Um, I just think that San Diego state is too good a team um, to necessarily get caught slipping here. Um, so I, I don't, I don't think I will have any of those in my final brackets. Um, I'm still I'm still tweaking things, of course, but <laughs> it, on, it it genuinely pains me to say this because the school is just so good at football. But like, I really do see Alabama winning. Um, I think they've got a good path. I think I don't see them running into a real challenger until the Sweet 16, anyways. Um, there, I, I think that might be the Elite Eight. Um, and then you know, like like. Th- Unfortunately for them, they are a completely different team today than they were in the middle of the season, just due to some, you know, off court stuff. But when you've got a player as good as Brandon Miller, you know, if he shows up even at all during this month, during, you know, the next four or five weeks, there are very few teams I think that can run with a guy that good, you know, that shifty, that can shoot that well. Um, and, you know, it's it's funny because I think every year people just want to go, oh, the number ones, number ones. And I mean, yeah, the number ones are good, but I mean, I don't know. Like, I think I can find flaws in at least the East and the West number ones. Um, I definitely can find. I, I just I can't see as many problems with Houston and Alabama. Um, I think they're both pretty good. I think they're both deep. And, you know, and especially when the lights are on Alabama, but they're also on other teams. I also think that, you know, they're just going to show up and perform because, you know, they, they had a pretty messed up thing happen to them and they still, you know, came out of the SEC. So, you know, they're they're really finding a way to gel at the right time. Yeah, I think the only question with Houston is Marcus Sasser, who got hurt uh, in the AAC tournament, but it's 
it seems like from what people are saying, like he's probably going to be okay. I think his expectation because a lot of people are still picking them to win. And I believe depending on which odd makers you look at, either Alabama or Houston are the betting favorites to win the national title. It flips depending on which one, but I don't think anyone else is a favorite anywhere. So it is those two one seeds that kind of stand out. And um, I guess I'll start it off by giving mine, but we'll go bigger picture and then go back and work towards the upsets. But so my final four, after all that about Alabama, I actually have them losing in the Elite Eight to Arizona. I think Arizona has Tabellis and um, really good bigs. They were here last year and kind of met a Houston team that was more ready for that moment than them with a first-year head coach and guys hadn't been in that moment. I think that they could be that team when they face Alabama, who, like you say, probably won't be tested that badly until the Elite Eight. And I feel like it might be an opportunity for them where they were the younger team and hadn't been there last year. They could be the team that gets over the hump this year, gets the Final Four. Um, Probably my biggest uh, shocker is I've got five-seed Duke in the Final Four against Arizona. I think that it's very possible that Duke could lose to Oral Roberts in the first round. But I think if they can get through that, the way I have everything going through, and I'll, I'll go a little bit more on that later, I think it lines up pretty well for them to get there. They're playing really well right now. They're a five seed, but they're playing more like a two, three seed right now at the end of the year. Filipowski's really gotten going for them. And so even though they've got a first year coach in John Shire that this is his first time in this moment, I think they can probably uh, get there as long as they can get going in the first game and not slip up against a really good Oral Roberts team as uh, that is their 12 seed opponent. Um, on the other side, I've got Houston going through the Midwest, uh, beating seven seed Texas A&M in the Elite Eight, who I have beating Texas in the second round. Underseeded because of their schedule, kind of their fault, but they aren't as they super underseeded. Yeah, and it's kind of Texas is going to bear the brunt of that because it's going to be a really tough. Uh, first round matchup for or second round matchup for them, assuming they get past Colgate. Um, but that one's actually too, because Texas A&P lose to Penn state in the first round, which is going to be one of the better first round games, but I just, what I'm feeling right now. And then in my final region, I've got UConn beating Gonzaga in the elite eight, UConn knocking off Kansas in the sweet 16, Gonzaga knocking off an injured without Jalen Clark, UCLA in the sweet 16. And like low key, even though it'll be the lead eight, I feel like all the attention on Gonzaga really drug on them the last couple of years. And they've kind of slid in as like, Oh yeah. Three seed Gonzaga. I think they're in a good spot because of it. And I think they can get to the lead eight. And even if they lose there to a UConn team, I feel like it'll be different than the last couple of years where it's felt like title or bust where this year, it, even if it's a lead eight, like I feel like it could be satisfied with that. Um, and then in Houston, I do have Houston cutting down the nets. I feel like it's a storyline. I can't avoid I just two perfect two sports. I've got them beating Arizona in the title game. The Zag story is interesting just because, you know, they 28 and five, they had two conference losses. Um, you know, two other just notable losses that they had. They lost to Texas um, fairly significantly. They lost by almost 20. Um, then a close loss to Baylor, but uh, 
they lost to Loyola Marymount and St. Mary's. And St. Mary's was a good team. Loyola Marymount was, you know, decent. Um, but it's it's interesting with Gonzaga because it didn't feel like the Gonzaga teams of the last couple of years. You're absolutely right. It didn't seem like we were chasing perfection. It didn't seem like we were still, you know, a spirited juggernaut that lost some pieces. It really felt like they flew kind of under the radar. And I will say they definitely earned that conference title this year. Really had to battle St. Mary's, also a good team. Um, really, really had to push them for it. it. I believe it lasted until pretty deep into the season. Um, and, you know, obviously they won their tournament and they just really took care of business. And I, I like the way that they're playing right now. Um, so it, it would be very funny if this was the year that they made the run, of course, right? When, you know, the lights are shining brighter on yeah, other not people. Not even just made the run, but got it done, cut down the nets. Like, exactly. This would be the year that everyone basically would have sold their Gonzaga stock except the players on the team. It would have been, I, I agree. It would be a fun story if that were to be the case. Yeah. I only haven't gone so far as the Elite Eight, but I could totally see it. They get hot. It'd be fun, you know? And th- that was the only reason why I mentioned that, because it's just, it's very funny to me that, you know, there finally is another team that kind of has pushed them off the mantle and, you know, I think you could say the same thing sort of with Duke. Like, Duke's playing really good, like you said, right now. Um, you know, they obviously made that run in the ACC tournament. And just before that, um, they're playing really good. I, I mean, it's college basketball. It's March. Like, there's, it's just a lot of storylines, right? So what do you – you're – I guess we can leave it off if you aren't ready to declare yours yet. You said you're still tinkering. Um, I, I don't know that I will I will waver off of Bama winning. Um, my Elite Eight – sorry, my Final Four right now, um, which probably needs work, is Bama, Marquette, Houston, and Gonzaga. Um, I do like this Marquette team. Um, I think they will certainly earn it you know, beating Purdue. Um, I'm, I'm just a little down on the big 10 this year. It wasn't a great year for the big 10. Um, no disrespect to Northwestern, like Northwestern absolutely did good. Um, I like how well. you got to go for Chicago's team there and help like as if they're the ones who need, as if they aren't the ones making their second tournament appearance in like seven Ever. years. Like they're exactly. the ones who's like, I didn't mean that about you guys. I meant it about everyone else. Exactly. Um, I don't know. It just it did not feel like a oh okay. You know, I know that uh what's it mid major mas mid major madness has this really long bit about the Big Ten not winning a college national championship since two thousand. Uh, still true, um, but I I look at the Big Ten and I think that they are vulnerable. Um, so but we'll see. We'll definitely see. I, so, I, and that doesn't that that is not me saying that Purdue didn't deserve the the one seed. They absolutely right. did. Twenty nine and but, five is still good, but I'm a little little, little doubting. There we can work with right vulnerable now. there and move on to shots that anyone wants to call. I've got a few. I don't have any of the top eight seeds losing the first round, which does make me nervous. But I do have some losing soon, or not too long after that. So I maybe. Because I do think there'll be a little bit of that. Like I think that there isn't any elite, elite top of college basketball this year, except maybe you put Houston, Alabama at that zone. So I think at some point sooner than maybe usual, some of these top seeds are going to be, you know, there for the pickings. But do you have any upset picks? Let's say upset is eleven or higher. Ten and nine seeds winning isn't really an upset, but 
you have any handful of those that you're willing to stake your claim to? Yes. Um, I think the, as right now, the upset that I am feeling out more specifically, um, I did talk about the 12.5 earlier and I do have one. Um, I like Drake. I think Drake is, you know, some level of good Miami, little shaky, you know, O'Meara's injury certainly changes things for me. Um, he was good. Um, before you mentioned it today, um, in a, on a group chat, I totally forgot that that is where he went. And I went and looked, he did phenomenal this season. Yeah. Time player of the year, right? Something like that. Insane year for them. Um, just as good as you'd expect. Uh, but if he is out, I, I really think Drake can run with them. Um, and then I really don't I, I see the, the, the trick and the, the trouble with the March Madness bracket is, you know, that there are upsets, you know, that they're going to come, but you don't know where they're going to come from, you know, like, and I, I don't even think like, um, for example, we both have the Texas A&M over Texas. You know, but that's that's not like a real upset. I think the committee really did Texas A&M dirty. Um, again, you're like you said, it was their fault. But like Texas A&M is absolutely not a seven seed. You know, I could really see them going to the Sweet 16 Elite Eight, you know, and I mean, and pushing Houston. Like I, I really could see them pushing Houston. Um, but I, I, I do think Houston is a little bit better. So for right now, I really think the only quote unquote upset that I have is that one um that i mentioned with drake in miami and that that one's less like a oh i have a feeling because this team is good and more oh i have a feeling because this other team is missing a very good player so cool saved room for me to have a few i I took my shots for sure um i'm staying away like you are i think san diego state will win but i feel like the second charleston's up by like 15 in that game under regret it's not the first time that I've just felt like an upset's too obvious and I've stayed away. Sometimes that's worked out. Sometimes it's like, oh, I was dumb. I should have just gone for it. But it's also like San Diego State has not won a tournament game under their head coach, Brian Dutcher. They've had a lot of good teams and they were maybe the, the worst affected along with Dayton by not having a tournament in 2020 because they had a really good team that year. Um, but I feel like the hunger is there. Like they need to end that streak. And it's a winnable game for them for sure, even though Charleston is going to be a tough tough out but the other game in that little pod in orlando virginia Furman, i've got it happening Furman, the paladins are going to take down the cavaliers uh ben vanderplas who ironically was on the ohio team that beat virginia as a 13 seed uh the last time they would have lost in this round uh transferred to uva and now is hurt out for the year uh they're without him and in these type of upsets, I mean, Virginia is always going to kind of wear it because of the 16-1 losing to UMBC, but it is kind of the same idea where they play such a style, and when they are struggling to find points, if they're going up against a team who can score, like Furman, who averages over 82 points a game, I just think it could be a troublesome matchup for them. And I just I don't usually like upsets where it's like two teams who do the same thing well because – in that situation, I feel like the team with the power conference athletes usually finds a way to win, even if it is a close game. So when it's a contrast of styles, I usually I circle those more than the other ones. And so I'm going with Furman as a 13 seed. 
I'm staying away from our Sunbelt brethren, Louisiana, Tennessee. I think that's another really obvious one because I think a lot of people are just not at all convinced about Tennessee right now because they lost Ziegler, their starting point guard, and they just haven't been playing well of late. But they play like smothering defense. And so I think as much as they showed offensively, I just don't think that Louisiana's played a team that can match them in that regard in a while. And so I've, I wanted to mention the Sunbelt team that's in the tournament there and also just mention that's another one I'm staying away from, but I guess it wouldn't shock me if it happened. Um, but my biggest one that I'm going for, and just one that I've liked more and more as I've looked at the numbers, I've got 14 seed Montana State beating Kansas State. It's another situation. Drum Tang's his first year as a head coach, and I think he's a good head coach. He's a Scott Drew disciple at Baylor. They're a team that's led by Marquise Knoll, who was at Little Rock before he was at Kansas State, and Keontae Johnson, who was the player who collapsed at Florida, a really scary moment a couple of seasons ago. He has found his place, Kansas State. It's been a really fun story. But past them, it's not a particularly deep team. Montana State's a team that gets turnovers on defense, gets to the foul line a bunch and hits those foul shots and doesn't really put themselves in trouble by making those turnovers happen. I just feel like it could be a game that lines up for if the shots aren't falling for their two-star players in their first kind of turning game with a first-year head coach, it just feels like maybe an opportunity. And I know that's a little bit hypocritical when I just said like Duke's going to beat Oral Roberts, but that one I do think is also going to be a game. I just think Duke's going to win it. This is the one where I just I couldn't look at my bracket and not pick one of the top one, two, or three seeds to lose. I just didn't think that that was going to happen. And this is the one that I looked at. And as I looked at the numbers more and more, just it's the one I went with. And the last time I had a gut like this, it was Abilene Christian beating Texas in the 2021 tournament. And I had that one dead on. And so I'm sticking to my guns, kind of a similar vibe there. And uh, we'll see how it goes. But going forward this year again. No guts, no glory. Right. That's not a bad pick, honestly. That really isn't a bad pick. I like it. I, I definitely like it. I I have not found that one yet. And like I said, there's so much time before Thursday when it's time to put 17 games on how many mo- how many monitors am I looking at? Like six, six, seven screens, including the TV. Um but we'll see. We'll see what happens when we finally lock this in and the madness begins. And, you know, just for the sake of the listeners who are still listening at this point through a trivia game and through all of the March Madness talk, I definitely appreciate having a microphone through which to talk about March Madness. And I feel like if you're listening to sports pods in the month of March, you also have an interest in March Madness. So even though there is no rooting interest for Georgia State this year, I hope that everyone out there can take in the madness as much as they are able to, because it really is a sporting event unlike any other. And I'm glad we were able to get this pot in a day early before the game's in proper tip off. So if we could help you out with any tips, win your pool. You know, we charge, we charge, we charge a $1 pool uh, <laughs> assistance fee. So it, you know, the buy-in is real low for us, but the, the advice that's, that's what it costs. Results speak for themselves. Well, last year or two years ago, more than last year for me. And maybe this year. I'm feeling good about this year. I know everyone says that, but I'm feeling good about this year. Yeah, it, I mean, it'll be fun. It'll be a good tournament. Uh, last one I've got is I've got Memphis beating Purdue in the second round. 
And honestly, if FAU, who's the nine seed in that eight, nine game wins, I also probably have FAU beating Purdue. I just don't trust their freshman guards. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. Like I said, I'm pretty out on the, the Big Ten right now. And, and, you know, this would, of course, be the year where they make the run and finally, you know, cut the nets down for the first time in 23 years. So you're but saying yeah. it's going to be Gonzaga versus a Big Ten team. So no matter what, it's going to be, a, of course, this is a year situation. Correct. Exactly. Cool. Looking forward to it. All right. Before we get you out of here this week, there's a lot of events happening in Georgia State Athletics this week. I want to give you a rundown real quick, but strap in. There's a lot. Today is the release of this podcast. Men's Tennis travels to Boca Raton, Florida to face FAU at noon. And then softball hosts Western Carolina and Atlanta for a doubleheader at noon and 2 p.m. On Thursday, Women's Track and Field travels to Jacksonville, Florida for the River City Spring Break Classic, an event that will continue through the rest of the week on Friday and Saturday as well. And then also on Friday, women's track and field is in Atlanta at the Emory Spring Break Track Classic. That's an all-day event. Beach volleyball plays in the March to May event in Gulf Shores, Alabama on Friday at 9 a.m. facing LSU, at 1 p.m. facing LMU, and then at 2 p.m. men's tennis hosts UTSA in Atlanta. Softball travels to Mobile to face South Alabama at 6 p.m., and baseball hosts Troy at the GSU Baseball Complex at 6 p.m. On Saturday, women's tennis hosts Coastal Carolina in Atlanta. Beach volleyball plays UCLA in the March to May Classic in Gulf Shores. Men's tennis hosts Georgia Southern in Atlanta. Softball faces South Alabama in Mobile at 3 p.m., and baseball hosts Troy in Atlanta at 3 p.m. as well. And then Sunday, women's golf starts a three-day event, the Bama Beach Bash in Gulf Shores, Alabama. That is Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Beach volleyball faces Florida State at 10 a.m. in the March to May event. Beach volleyball plays UAB at noon in the same event. Baseball hosts another game versus Troy at 1 p.m. Softball plays another game at South Alabama at 1. And beach volleyball plays Tulane at 3 p.m. On Monday... Bama Beach Bash continues, and the men's golf team travels to Humble, Texas for the All-American Intercollegiate, and that event will be happening on Tuesday as well. And then also on Tuesday, big game for baseball, facing UGA at Cool Ray Field in Lawrenceville at 6 p.m. And then on Wednesday, softball hosts Mercer for a doubleheader at 3 and 5 p.m. at the Bob Hack Softball Complex, and that is everything for the next, I guess, eight days before we put out the next episode. So get out there, support the Panthers, and keep it locked to Panther Talk for all of the latest updates on the goings-on for baseball as Brady covers that for you. And have a fantastic week. We'll see you in the next episode. Go Panthers.